Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Supercoach Podcast. We have an interesting podcast ahead of us. I'd like to start off by hoping that everyone that is listening right now is well. We're not going to talk a lot about the virus or any amount about the virus as that's essentially on every bit of social media platform at the moment and we would like to just focus on footy and Supercoach. So I have with me Pistol. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking in this time. <laughs> <laughs> that is good to hear. Um <laughs> Essentially, we're going to be discussing what we know so far, and that is uh, the 17-round AFL that we are essentially going to be seeing this season. Um, and some things are still subject to change. Right now, we don't know if round one will be starting from Thursday. Uh, if it is, then there's probably going to be another podcast tomorrow about a Marsh series wrap-up and discussing all sorts of stuff like that. But at the moment, it's still not guarantee to be a 17 game series as the players are fighting for 22 still and if that happens then obviously a lot of our information would change that we would discuss on a marsh series wrap-up podcast so at the moment with the information that we've been given we're going to be assessing the potential strategy changes in supercoach 2020 uh, with a 17 round no buy uh, everyone plays each other once type of season and we'll get we'll just get straight into it, Pistol. Right now, uh, pros and cons. We'll start off with the buy rounds and the fact that there aren't any anymore. Yeah, so that one's that one's got a lot of supercoach implications. Um, I'm going to start with the, the con here, uh, which is what jumped out to me is that the buy rounds, at least for me personally, and I know for a lot, if not all of our listeners, the buy rounds for people going for overall is like this massive massive jump waiting to happen like you it doesn't really matter how your season's going you can kind of count on the fact that when you get to the buys you're going to have this big increase in rank and it's like the perfect thing for the strategists you come in you plan for it you nail it you leave the buy ranks like super high and you're all really happy there's no buys so there's way less in terms of it's a different type of strategy but less strategy um, and therefore i guess the ranking boost that we'd get around that period of time is just not going to happen this year yeah, for the the enthusiasts like we are and, and like a lot of our listeners are, it's not essentially, it's not great news that the buyers aren't there. It's less stress for us having to obviously maneuver through them. But for the casual player, this is really a, a massive win for them. Um, they can start the season well. They don't have to worry about getting 18 on the park each buy round or more than 18 uh, ideally. So essentially we lose that little bit of strategy, that little bit of an edge over your mates who aren't quite checking their, their teams as closely as what you are. Um, so it, I think it, yeah, it definitely plays as a bit of a con. The pro I'll go with is that players or teams like St. Kilda and Port Adelaide, which were just given the round 11 buy, um, and thus making it hard to choose players like Dan Houston or even Robertson was, was coming under some speculation because of that awkward buy. Um, obviously, that's now out the window. You can be free to just select those players as you please, um, just as we're free to select any amount of players per whichever buy round they were in. For example, three Western Bulldogs mids is a big one that was thrown around with uh, potentially not being able to start them all because of the buy rounds, but now you can feel free to do essentially whatever you want in your in your team building. Yeah, I never considered at all having three Bulldogs midfielders with Titch and Kelly um, sharing a buy, I was like, well, I can't possibly do that. But now that there's no buys and all of those are picks in their own right, uh, it's at least back on the table, uh, which is super interesting. And Houston found his way out of my team when they announced that round 11 buy. So uh, now I'm going to have to pop him back, which is, I guess, good news, but potentially bad news, depending on how he goes, JP. 
No, he'll go well. He did find himself out of my team for a short, short time frame there, but he's back in as well. So um, a lot of confidence now, considering that buy won't be there to sort of have the the rookie step in for him that week, and then you know will he make up those points throughout the season? All that hoo-ha is now in the rearview mirror. So um, I think uh, all in all, I'd call this a a pro for relaxing super coach, um, and a con for those who obviously try their absolute hardest to, to rank in the top 100, for example. But um, for those that are now making their Supercoach, 17-round season, now people will probably up in the air as to whether they even participated this year um, without having to consider the buyers or anything, being able to freely select a team with essentially no cons in, in your players missing certain rounds is, I think, a bit of a pro for the community. Definitely for the RBS volume of players to play the game. This is a, a, a good move for Supercoach at least. I'm just, uh, I guess, upset as one of the, I guess, strategists to the game. Uh, I'm upset that now it's going to be a much, I guess, more even playing field. And speaking of even playing fields, we now have each team playing each other just the once. So there are no unfair or no easier type runs for any specific team. We don't have Bontempelli playing DeBoer twice pre-buy anymore. Obviously, every team besides the GWS boys will cop DeBoer just the once during the season. Um, I think that also alleviates a little bit of strategy, but players like Clayton Oliver, who are, we were hoping would be better due to an easy draw, won't quite get the boost that we thought he would. Yeah, this one... It's interesting. Obviously, we'll go through the pros and the cons, but the biggest con that stands out is those players that you wanted to kind of start because they had an easy draw. Um, Oliver, Gorn, even Cripps. I mean, people are starting Cripps anyway, but they're the ones, Fife particularly, um, they had like this great draw, and I'm like, yeah, they're going to take massive advantage of that. I'm going to get all these Fremantle players, which I wouldn't otherwise get. And uh, now it's all evened up. So for me, those players are at least some of them like Oliver are a bit cheaper than their counterparts at the top end price but now there's less of a reason to select someone like him um, if the draw is just even completely across the board I think yeah and then obviously conversely the opposite is true as well so um, players like Lockie Neal for example who did have a particularly tougher run than what last season was um, we don't have to concern ourselves too much with the fact that he um, will play a much harder opposition or run of games this season and that he, he obviously has the same playing field as everyone else might be a better selection for those who are considering or not considering him. I think all in all, um, it's hard to draw this up as a pro or a con. We were looking to benefit heavily from having the players with an easy draw, but we're also looking, like those strategists were looking to get an advantage on people who selected players with a more difficult draw as well. So um, this one's kind of neither here nor there, but again, I think it just relaxes the community and the, the masses of people who play this game in, in their selections without having to consider any of this stuff anymore. There was players, I guess, for particular players, it's definitely a pro. Um, I wasn't really considering Tom Lynch um, I thought he would be good, but not quite good enough. And now I take into account his price as well as the fact he doesn't have to play the harder teams twice. And Tom Lynch is looking pretty good right now. So I think there's definitely for some of those key forwards that no longer have to play the top teams twice. You got to like re, just reset your mind frame on how you're thinking about them and uh, just judge it completely differently than before. Okay, so so far uh, neither of the two changes that we've discussed have any huge impact on the Supercoach uh, 
team selection or strategy that we might have thought. I mean, it is, but it's not like it's not groundbreaking. Trade out all your premiums for mid prices like we're seeing on the internet so far. So, I'd say both (laughs) both those things are obviously that we do have to adjust our strategy, or we can do if we want. Essentially, you could ignore both those things and go in with the team that you already had. So they're not exactly groundbreaking uh, team-moving changes, although, as you said, there are ways to find advantages in these things. So um, I'll move on to the next one, and that's that price changes will or will potentially be changing earlier than what we've seen in the past. This is an unconfirmed change, which is something that Heraldson have hinted at uh, by saying in their article today that price changes will be different you can only imagine with a shorter season, they'll be trying to get price changes happening quicker to get players obviously going up in price quicker so we can upgrade our teams quicker and thus essentially get a full premium side before round 17. So this one is super interesting. Um, I guess the pros balance with the cons where the pro is that the rookies are going to like shoot up in price quicker instead of having to get have three games in the side, they only need to have two two games in the side before their price starts to increase. And then on the other hand, you've got these premiums that usually there's a leeway where they get three games to try and um, work out their average, maintain their average from last year uh, before they drop or, or rise in price. And now it's if you have a bad game, say you cop the DeBoer tag in round one, you're in for a large fall um, more quickly because it's in your cycle, I guess, for longer than three rounds. I was just about to say that this affects Dangerfield quite heavily because he does have DeBoer in round one. If the games go as they've been essentially signed off to be going at right now, which is the first four rounds would go as scheduled and then they'll get the the change up of the the 17 teams all facing each other once, etc. Um, Dangerfield does have DeBoer round one, so maybe one that we could scratch off our starting list. I mean, we can talk about some other reasons and that might negate this one but definitely in terms of uh price drop you'd assume he's going to be held to a lower score in round one um unless he kicks a bag up forward so something to consider at least so what were you referring to when you said there was something to potentially um go against this oh this as in in terms of other reasons there's a whole bunch of reasons so we'll we'll talk about it when we get to it but we can move okay. on to the next one if you'd like to on um potentially reduced trades. So obviously we have 30 trades at the moment. Uh, how do you think affecting it to, let's say, I think the common common ones are like 22 to 23 to 24, somewhere in that range. What happens if we had that many trades instead? Yeah, so I essentially we're losing five games from each team, six rounds of footy altogether. Um, it only makes sense that we drop in trades. Um, otherwise would almost be like Dream Team with two trades per round, which I think is... Just a little bit too easy for people to, to work around. I mean, Supercoach is very unique in its uh, difficulty with scoring, price, and trades. Um, so I think to maintain that, we do need a drop in trades, uh, although it would be easier without doing such a thing. But um, essentially, if we do drop down to 22, it's it's a, it's like having the 30, but obviously we've got the less round. So I, I don't think it's a big deal. It might be harder to finish your team, um, and you might have less time to have a full premium side because of the prices and and the fact that your trades are far more precious considering you have eight eight less, for example. But um, essentially, it's just because one thing's been downsized, the other is then obviously had to had to go with it. Yeah, I think for your in terms of your starting strategy of your squads, um, 
I think this is this is the one where people start panicking about. Okay, now it's mid-price madness, which I, I dislike, but I understand what they're trying to say that uh, if you start with the value, the the non-value picks, so full guns and rookies. By the time you get to full premium, it's going to be around thirteen, fourteen, and then you only have three rounds to like enjoy your, I guess, reap the the benefits of your slower starts. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily true, and the mid-price strategy that people are saying where they're basically picking mid-price in every position so that they can finish their team quicker. That doesn't make sense either because you've seen plenty of people's teams full mid-prices and they score 1,800, 1,900 because they, they don't have the ceiling that you need to have a strong side. I think there needs to be a balance. I think the community needs to understand that whilst maybe instead of going like 12 super premiums and two mid-prices, maybe you go 10 super premiums and six mid-prices and then six rookies or five rookies or four rookies whatever it may be and and still keep the double digit super premiums and don't go full wackadoodle um picking mid prices because that that's a recipe for disaster in my opinion yeah i I tend to agree i think people are going a little bit too far to the the other end of the spectrum and and like you've said going full mid price madness whereas i I just don't think it's necessary um potentially and I, i chizo messaged this to us earlier so he's still got the wisdom even though he's abroad at the moment um is was saying essentially if you if you go Sicily down to Doherty for example and then another premium down like Dustin Martin down to Brayshaw for example um, then you can try and upgrade just a rookie to just to get him off your field and although you're, you've got a little bit more risk in terms of top eight players um, if you're confident in the mid-pricer and you weren't going to go for them for safety earlier um, now could be the chance to get that rookie off field for example if you've got Max King on your bench he's looking like a far less favorable option this year considering a slow burn is just quite we don't quite have time for a slow burn this season so um that sort of change is where you should be looking not not a, not like the the full revamp your team you know whitfield dustin martin out or your premium midfielders out like Smith, jacobs in that sort of thing so um yeah one extreme to another i, I feel like just a slight change if you want to I, i'm personally I don't even think I'll change too much for this rule, but um, a slight change just to adjust, I think, is is probably as far as I'd go. Yeah, if if people want to talk, I guess some maths behind it is there's been times, I think even last year or the year before, people were scoring easily 2,400 with the Guns and Rookies team because the rookies ended up scoring much more than expected, like 80 plus, and were, were um, basically there was no poor scores from the rookies in that round. Um, so I think the strategy of getting more mid-prices is you reduce the rookies on field so that you don't need to rely on them to score those 80-plus scores. But those mid-prices that you get in, which mid-prices going in scoring 100 every week? Like most mid-prices generally score like between 80 and 100 as well. So you're you're just trying to avoid the the rookies scoring, you know, 50s. Um, So just get those ones off the field. But you can still have rookies on your field that still have a chance of going 80. You don't need to get every single one off your field. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. Uh, you've summed that up really well. So um, we'll move on to the next point, and that is the potential of having minimal time off between games. So um, this has been spoken about, not quite confirmed as of yet, but uh, Gillen has said that if you know if something happens and they do need to play two rounds in quick succession, maybe uh, within three, four-day turnaround, um, that is something that has been considered strongly by the AFL, um, could come into play. So... In that instance, if there is a two, three, four, five-day turnaround, which is still quicker than what you'd uh, expect in the normal AFL, 
Um, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me, the biggest point uh, that jumps out at me is players like Nick Nat, uh, Sam Doherty, uh, Dylan Robertson to some extent, and even to a lesser extent, potentially Jack Steven. These are popular players um, for one reason or another, or popular players that have been theorized over the last week for one reason or another. Um, I can't see Nick Nat playing two day, two games in five days. I can't see Doherty playing two games in three or four days coming off a knee injury like he, like what he's had times too. Um, Robertson with his, obviously, the heart condition, same thing, and Stephen potentially with a role being of his age and lack of season and games in the last couple of years. These types of players might be the ones most affected by this, and um, the fact that they are just slightly less durable than your, you know, I mean, obviously, I could compare them to hundreds of players, but um, just the fact that they're slightly less durable in general, it could be a reason to avoid these guys more so than what we were thinking in a 30-trade, 22-game season. Definitely. I mean, like, Stephen will probably play the games, but he might get one game in the midfield and one game more forward, which is not ideal. So uh, that's why I'd be, like, avoiding players like him. I think rookies as well, those that aren't, like, elite, durable runners, which you'd assume most rookies are not yet quite there, uh, they may tire just much more quickly um, if there's if they're getting hammered between the games. So I think that's a potential concern there if there's minimal time off between the games as well. So um, on the other end, though, you've got those elite runners that are durable will be, I guess, more highly valued. you got uh, Riley O'Brien, for example, in the ruck that's nearly winning their time trials. Um, he's definitely playing nearly every minute of every match uh, for the season. You wouldn't have to worry about him. Um, some other players... I would be absolutely terrified, as you said. Like I'm, I'm now. I'm now. I'm thinking. Okay, am I going to get Gorn or am I going to get Riley O'Brien? I, I would assume Gorn is going to miss a game at some points just because of him coming back from a knee injury. Um, or does he, you know, partner with Luke Jackson? Luke Jackson take a half, and Gorn takes a half. Whereas players like Riley O'Brien just suddenly become uh, straight into the conversation of maybe I should go that way instead. I think that's a great point and one that I hadn't even really considered is the the fact that players like that who we, I mean, not exactly durable players but players that are just so important to their club, um, they're important enough to not want them to get injured and although you need them on the field as much as possible, you want them in there for you know 15 rounds, not five. So um, I doubt players, our teams are going to risk injury on these players that have come off of other, I mean, interrupted pre-seasons is a big one, um, a season or two, last season or two, where they've had multiple injuries, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, definitely one to consider, and probably more players than what we think right now um, are affected by this. So that's definitely one to look into. I, I, honestly, you kind of got me there. I, I wasn't expecting that. that was, <laughs> well, that's, it's such a good point. I, I think the, the thing to think about is, like, those games, I think they were talking about playing six rounds in the first four weeks, and then... I'm not sure what's meant to happen. Like if it then goes back to one a week, then you're stuck with all these like crappy primos in your team that were really good for the first six rounds of Supercoach and then, you know, much worse for the next 11 rounds. So there's also a trade-off there that like, are you really not selecting them just for the first part or is it for a whole season? It becomes really dicey. So that's going to be something we'll definitely touch on when it's announced. Yeah, and it is something that, I again, I don't see myself making drastic changes, but... Um, something to be wary of. I mean, I personally don't have Doherty in my side anymore since this whole 17-game season has been announced, so we'll see how we progress from there. But um, just something to keep your eye on. Um, the next point is that top-up players 
Wait, well, you don't have Doherty because they're playing less games? Correct. And in shorter shorter spurts. Oh, you're, you're assuming there's minimal time off. But if there was not yeah. minimal time off, would you get Doherty again? Um, like if it's one a week, just for 17 I'm weeks? Not, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure at this point. I think... Um, I think getting I mean, then it's a positive. is a lot safer if the money's there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, no, I mean, because then he doesn't need to last is, as long. Yeah, I get, I get what you mean, but uh, yeah, look, it's, it's tough. It's one, it's one that we'll discuss tomorrow <laughs> when, when it fully, fully comes out. But, um, I mean, I wasn't big on Doherty prior to these rule changes anyway, due to the the potential injury or re-injury of his knee. So I, I would, I'll say that right now, but. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 one it's one to be discussed, but yeah, I just All right, let's jump to the next one, JB. We will, we will. Top up players and their impact on the game and supercoach as well, obviously. So um this provides us with a big pro which is more rookies essentially being played in games, whether they get played or not, um, is yet to be seen. But with these potential short bursts between rounds, I'd expect a lot of rookies to come in and sort of fill the gap with a lot of players. Um, like Sam Doherty and Nick Nat. But uh, essentially, we could see a lot of these guys get game time. The problem is, Pistol, is that they they surely they can't have good job security. And um, with their price rises being so low priced, um, as we know, there's a there's a big magic number that, that sort of doesn't change for Supercoach. And you'll speak about it a lot more intelligently than what, what I will. But um, if a player like that is hogging a 50k upgrade, then someone's got to lose money somewhere. Yeah, so the, the magic number does change every single week, but there's a finite amount of money in the game. So if there's more players that are just popping in and there's less rounds they need to play before their prices rise, so even if it's reduced to well, they play one game and their price rises, um, then I'm scared because we're getting maybe 10 players per club playing one or two games. They're going up in price, but their money needs to come from somewhere. So that means there's going to be massive market volatility, um, and that's scary when you're spending so much money on these top-line primos, if they happen to have a bad game um, in a week where there's 50 new players in the league all rising in price, they're in for a massive price drop. Um, or, well, I mean, it'll balance out based on the magic number. So um, they might not necessarily be, and there might be a very small price drop as well. Um, it just depends on if there's one player, like one new player, or if there's 50 new players, uh, there'll be potentially no price changes uh, to to a player that has a bad score. I probably explained that really badly. Um, I hope someone followed. <laughs> I'm happy to try and explain it. Uh, if, you, if someone wants to shoot me a, a tweet or something, um, I'll try and explain it in better detail using actual numbers rather than just like mythical numbers on a podcast. <laughs> yes, mythical numbers, no advice. But uh, essentially, I, I, I did follow you, so at least one person did. But um, with with what we spoke about earlier with the potential price changes coming after potentially one round, um, these rookies coming in don't have to have job security to affect the market. They might just need that one game. Uh, a score of 50 will obviously up their price by around 20K. That's enough to affect the market in at least some way. So it is an important point to make. Yeah. Um, with that being said, we'll move on to the next point, And that's more starting money and bigger squad, which is something that we could potentially see. Would you like to go into this one? I mean, this could be split into two. Maybe maybe there's not more starting money and a bigger squad, or there's more money and a bigger squad. So we don't we don't know how much bigger. Um, maybe 
we could get an extra bench spot in each position or at least an extra bench spot or something if there's going to be more players um, in the game just because AFL rosters are increasing their size. So maybe Supercoach rosters should increase their size to try and keep it somewhat consistent. Um, I think this one is really tricky to talk about the pros and cons until we get exact confirmation. But just like, I guess, random musings, there could be issues where uh, some people decide they'll rather spend the extra money on their field and start with a more gun team and fill it out with 102k uh, non-playing players and then that they might rock it off to a, a strong start and then when their players are dropped or injured, they can't recover, um, which we, we don't really know how that's going to go. Or people will be able to get more stronger depth squads. So, uh, for example, maybe putting Grundy and Gorn on the, the field and then having Naismith at R3. There might be some sort of strategy in that, JB. That will be an extremely interesting point to discuss um, if we have more information on tomorrow's podcast. So um, could definitely go either way with uh, having more money and bigger starting squad or not having that. And what we're going to do if we are stuck with just what we have here um, with the potential of all the, the top-up players going in, etc. So um, we'll move on to the next point. It's our second to last point of the podcast. And that is that there will be no state league football until late May from what we've heard so far. Um this essentially, I think the biggest factor in this is that rookies that either get dropped or don't start in round one have no real way to break back into the team via form in a competitive state league. Um, I don't know if clubs will hold their own little intra-clubs or whether someone just has to train more to get back in, but essentially this means if, for example, someone like Tom Green is dropped from the side in round four when Callum Ward returns, then... Um, how will he poss- how will he find his way back in considering he won't be playing state footy for at least a month after that so um, definitely something to consider our, our rookies could have really really poor job security this season so um, a scary one but at the same time who's knocking out the rookies if no one's dominating the kneeful so um, it's a double-edged sword so something that we I suppose we'll we'll have to assess pistol yeah and if there's games in quick succession as well, then you end up with more rookies probably being rotated through the spot. It's very confusing. I feel like the job security of rookies is going to just be worse as a general uh, this year. I mean, one, because they are worse this year than other years, but two, because of the no state league football, I think that's really going to hurt us in the rookie department, which is a super interesting point and factor um, to take into account. I guess the only positive that I can see of no state league football is uh, players that are in the VFL or WAFL, whatever it may be, they can't get reported. So there's that, JB. That is the smallest pro in <laughs> such a big con, but it's 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 true. Like obviously, not something that we have to sweat about. If someone like Hibbard comes back from injury and they were going to play him through the VFL, now he just has to train extra hard. Um, and he can't get suspended. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, a minor pro in in a sea of cons there. So. Um, we'll move on to the next one. That so super interesting fact, though, one that I've not seen spoken about a lot in the community. So uh, something to keep an eye on if you do have... Maybe <laughs> I said earlier in the podcast, Max King might not be relevant anymore due to his slow burn uh, status, but if he's got amazing job security, then maybe he is relevant again with no state league footy. So um, again, something to discuss in, in tomorrow's podcast in more depth. Um, shorter quarters is another potential thing that the AFL could be implementing um, this, I think, is detrimental to players who, for example, one that comes off the top of my head just because I owned him a couple of seasons ago, 
uh, Dylan Shield rotated all the time onto the bench. Um, if he spends the same amount of time on the bench this season as he did last season, he's going to have a lot less time to, to play that burst type of football that he does and, and score in, in, in like bunches. Obviously, now he's not super, super coach relevant, but if you apply that to any other superstar that spends a lot of time on the bench or potentially just rotates heavily, um, if they get stuck on... If the ball gets stuck on the other side of the pit, uh, the field like it does quite often, you know it's far more detrimental this season now. Um, if this does come into play, there are a lot of cons with this one. There are, but it's funny you went that way because in my mind I was kind of thinking about it differently. I was like, well, players that usually were on the bench, they're going to be rotated more frequently because it's going to be, you'd assume, a faster-paced game if they're shorter quarters. Um, so I'm thinking like, the ball magnets, so like the Titch, they can get nine touches in two minutes. Um, so any sort of burst player that can kick multiple goals in a couple of minutes. Um, people with like high points per minute, so like Nick Nat, um, I guess Brayshaw up forward have better points per minute than his, than his price suggests. Um, those players are the ones that are going to excel just because they're getting, I guess, more of the pie in a short amount of the time. So the super coach pie, for those that don't know what I'm talking about. Um, they'll be able to rack up more of it in the shorter amount of time. So I'm hoping that would lead to larger scores, but it will also lead to much more, uh, I guess, higher variance scores. So Nick Nat is somebody that, you're right, if he spends, he only plays 60% game time. If he's playing 60% game time now, um, I'd be a bit worried because the game's shorter. So he should technically spend more time on field because he's so important. So I'd, I'd feel like Nick Nat is somebody that would be really good um, with shorter game time, but really bad when the games are played multiple times per week. So there's a massive catch-22 with those selections. Yeah, and I suppose with shorter quarters, we're assuming the pie stays at 3,300, and um, that means then obviously more influential players could mean more scaling potentially. Yeah, so you kind of see it in the AFLW. So in the women's game, um, you still have a pie, but you have players that rack up like 30 touches and end up with like 240 super coach points. Um, and that's all to do with the scaling and the percentage of the pie. So I'm kind of thinking that if they go to 16 um, minutes per quarter and then you have Tom Mitchell with like 45 possessions, he's probably scoring 250 super coach points rather than, you know, 150 super coach points. So that that's kind of what's going on in the back of my mind. That's crazy to think about, <laughs> to be honest. Now, we are going to learn a lot more about what's happening in the AFL tomorrow um, or today if you're listening, and that's via Gil. Obviously, they'll put the decision back another day. Um, it's, it's, it's probably going to change. A lot of what we've spoken about either will be confirmed fact or confirmed false. Um, we probably will podcast again tomorrow for us today for you guys uh just in regards to what has officially been changed or not changed and then whether it's going to be 17 22 game season and whether it's going to start this week or in a couple of weeks time so um i think the gist of it is that we might have to re-strategize but not to rip your teams apart um definitely definitely don't rip your teams apart a lot of your strategy from two weeks ago still holds true today um, just make minor tinkers where you think is it might be necessary and obviously enjoy the no buy rounds, which is excellent. And I guess from everyone here at Dr. Supercoach, we hope everyone that is listening is well and uh, taking care of themselves and their loved ones. 
Thanks for listening, community. And if you have any questions, you can find myself at pistol underscore DRSC. You can find JB at JB underscore DRSC. And you can find Cheezo at Cheezo underscore DRSC. Also, please consider joining our Patreon. We've just completed 30 podcasts in 30 days in preparation for the current season. So fingers crossed it continues to go ahead. Um, and that is quite fun. $3 a month, you get access to all of those 30 podcasts we just did. So a bit of bang for your buck. Uh, stay safe, everybody. 